Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. Psalm 22. So, um, this is um, a very prominent psalm. This is a very popular psalm, a very widely known psalm. This is known as the Psalm of the Cross. It's a psalm of David, but it's also a psalm of Jesus. Uh, you're going to see as we read here, um, this is a psalm that points to Jesus' life and death a thousand years before he even lived. So we see so much of this psalm was fulfilled in the cross of Jesus, uh, but we also see that this psalm was a great comfort to Jesus, which is crazy to think that Jesus, who is the word of God made flesh, meditated on the word of God, right? But Jesus, we, we know this, that in the last few weeks of his life, he was in great agony and distress, knowing what was before him, the cross, to bear the weight, the full weight of the sins of the world. I mean, imagine knowing that's what's on your calendar. And, and for Jesus, he found great comfort. We see this in the Psalms. We know that as he even celebrated Passover, he was in the Psalms. And as he came to the cross, he even quotes the first verse that we're going to read here. So this, I want you to, as we read this, this is a psalm of David, but I want you to see this as a psalm that was on the mind of Jesus as he was going to the cross for your sin and my sin. So Psalm 22, let's read starting in verse 1. We're going to go down to verse 22. I'm reading out of the New King James Version, Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people, all those who seek to ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while I was on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, but you, O oh Lord, do not be far from me. O oh my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. 
This is the word of God for the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. Father, I ask now in these next moments that we have together that you would enable me by the power of your spirit to be a instrument in your hand to communicate your heart to your people. By all means, Lord, get me out of the way so that you can talk to your children. We invite you and we also ask that you would give us special ears to hear what you want to speak to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name, inviting you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So this morning, I want to begin with the title of this study that I want to walk us through here in Psalm 22. And this is, as I kind of thought through this, here is what I want to entitle the message this morning. The title of the message is Spiritual Disorientation. Spiritual Disorientation. Um, I want you to think for a second, when was the last time that you found yourself completely disoriented? You ever been disoriented? Um, the idea or the definition of being disoriented is to be confused to the point of losing your sense of direction. Okay, maybe your, um, your trusty Waze app gave out, and here you are on a back street, and you are not a back street boy, and you're like, how am I going to get out of here? What am I going to do? I'm disoriented. I've lost my sense of direction. Maybe you bumped your head. You ever actually hit your head hard enough? I remember getting a concussion. That sounds like an a, uh, oxymoron. I remember getting a concussion. I remember because people told me it happened. Um, I learned that it happened after the fact when I had come to, and I realized that wasn't a dream of me running around Ramp 48 Skate Park um, calling out for my mommy. That really happened. That really happened. Um, I was challenged to try a trick that I should not have tried, and um, the rest is uh, it's, it's history, but it's also a dream. Um, uh, recently, I was disoriented pretty bad, um, and I think I can relate with, with, I think some of the parents in here can relate with this. Um, the most frequent disorienting experiences happen probably in the first few years of having kids, because kids love to wake you up in the middle of the night. May, they, wanna, they, they actually stand over your body. And they wait till you've gone into REM. Like, it's like, okay, they're at REM. Mom! You know? <laughs> so having kids certainly did. Now, the other, the other, uh, the other day, it was, it was actually about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, I had a completely, in the middle of the night, woke up, disoriented, had so confused to the point of, of no direction. And I thought it was my kids, but it wasn't. I was, I was in bed, deep asleep. It's a true story. In the middle of the night, I hear this giant, over and over again, repetitive like this. It's like in my house, okay? And I'm like, this is a scary dream, you know? Like, so I immediately, I think I shoot up. Don't know which way is up, but I shoot up. And I get into that, come on, guys, I get into that mode, all right? And I come out pitch black. I don't, you, you, know, you know when you wake up, you forget where the light switches are? You're like, where's the light? Alexa! And honey's like, pretty, like, we don't have Alexa, honey. You know, it's like, okay. <laughs> I jump out of bed, and I'm in that mode of half Navy SEAL, half terrified. 
half ready for whatever challenge awaits me. Um, so the noise is, has not stopped. I mean, it's do, 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 and I'm going, okay, what is going? I can't even think. So I just come out into the living room, and, I'm, and I hit the light on, and I look up, and there was a balloon that had got wrapped around the living room ceiling fan. And sometimes I'm like, are there people playing jokes on me? Like, I, who did that, you know? Like, was it one of you or something? Like, it was that unbelievable. And it, was, it wasn't like a small happy birthday balloon. It was either Evie or Penny's birthday. Their, their birthdays are a month apart. So it was either a giant number one or a giant number two. And so that's what I came out to uh, in the middle of the night, quite disoriented. You could say that I was so confused that I had lost every sense of direction. To be disoriented. Um, it's interesting what we see here in Psalm 22. We, we see David here, even fulfilled and uh, quoted by the person of Jesus, experiencing a sort of spiritual disorientation. Have you ever been spiritually disoriented? Spiritually speaking, have you ever been so spiritually confused that you've lost your sense of direction? Like, where am I? God, where are you? God, who am I? God, how do I get out of this situation? I am disoriented. What was it for you? What was the abrupt thing? Or maybe it wasn't in a moment. Maybe it's been a series of time. And right now you're in a situation where you're like, I don't know how I got here, but I'm disoriented. Spiritually speaking, I, I know a lot of the Bible, but I'm facing this conflict. You ever face this conflict between what you want to believe and what you genuinely feel? I mean, if we're going to be honest Christians here, which we don't have any more time in this day and age to be fake Christians. If we're going to be honest about what we genuinely feel, this is a conflict we're going to face a lot of the time. Jesus himself even faced it. What great comfort. A conflict between what I want to believe but what I genuinely feel. Now, I find that in my life, I tend to live on on either one of two extremes. I'm either too wrapped up in what I genuinely feel with no knowledge of what I should believe. Or I find myself, I don't know if you've ever been here, where you're just like, I got to believe this, I got to believe this, and I got to stuff what I feel. But the truth is you're disoriented. And you're going to continue in ministry as a disoriented person and servant of Jesus. And that's not going to benefit people around you. That's not good for your soul. It's wise and helpful for us to do what David did every now and then and bring our disorientation to Jesus. Have you done that? That's the important question here. Number one, have you ever been spiritually disoriented? But what did you do in that moment of all confusion and loss of direction? Where did you go? Now, David is such a great friend to have um, for people like me, people like us, uh, people who are human, people who go up and go down. Um, I saw, a, I wish I could have found it, but I think it was Ethan posted an awesome Instagram photo this week of David in the Psalms. Like, one day he's smiling, the next day he's crying. I should say, one verse he's smiling, the next verse he's crying. Uh, David, what he shows us is this, that we're not alone in our disorientation. You're not weird because you feel confused and everybody else, seem, everybody else might seem like they have it together. They don't. And it's okay that you don't. In fact, welcome to the club. Of, no, we don't. Welcome. That's what we're here for. 
Are we here because we have it all together? No, we're here because Jesus does. And so that gives us a freedom to come as the mess that I am before God. And David says, you're not alone in that. You're not alone. I, that, that thing that hit you off your rocker, listen, I see it, God says. I see where you're at. But again, thanks for David. Because David, he shows us how to navigate the disorientation. Jesus even affirmed the way David navigates it. Jesus himself clung to these very words in his darkest hour. Uh, what David shows us is that spiritual disorientation must be navigated within relationship with God. Simply speaking, spiritual disorientation must be navigated through relationship with God. That was the one constant that David had in a world of interruptions and upsets and surprises. He had God. What, what a change, a personal relationship with God. And by personal, I mean the ability to talk to God as you. Right? A lot of us, we know God as he, as him. But, but for David, God was personal. It was you. Did you notice there that three times as David describes his own disorientation, he speaks into his disorientation with this statement, but you. Have you seen that? It's there in verse 3. It's there in verse 9. It's there in verse 19. I'm disoriented, but you. It's that personal, up close and personal relationship with God that led David to navigate this disorientation. So here's another idea that we would communicate. There's spiritual disorientation, but David shows us the way of, look at this, relational reorientation, okay? We will, from time to time, lose all sense of spiritual direction, but do we have a relationship with God that's able to be an anchor for us? It's able to center us on what is true. Um, I want us to look at these three different areas of David's disorientation in the midst of his trial. We see Jesus all over them, and we see how knowing God as you personally can reorient us relationally. Uh, the first thing we see with David in this psalm is that David in his disorientation experiences a lost sense of loyalty. That's the first thing. He says in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. I mean, talk about a good relationship with God. Not only is David honest about how he feels, but David is honest about how he feels about God. He's not just honest with God. This is how I feel. He has such a close relationship with God that he has the freedom to come to God and say, God, this is how I feel about you. This is how I feel. Do we know God that way, by the way? Do we know a God that can handle how we feel? Or do we know a God that always wants us to keep our feelings in check? Maybe you grew up in a household like that where you weren't allowed to be genuine and honest about what was in your heart. So you grew up in an environment that caused you to stuff and just do the right thing. And so then when in your relationship with God, when you start to experience this confusion, you go, God, where are you? You just go, no, he's here, he's here, I know he's here. So that's not healthy. That's not what God wants for your life, to be a fake version of you, a stuffed version of you. And what a great example. And again, do these words look familiar? We're followers of Jesus, aren't we? 
Did Jesus stuff how he felt on the cross because he knew that it was going to be used for the redemption of the whole world? He cried out, God, where are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why, God? Why? Um, it's interesting. There's um, this really unique encounter in the book of Nehemiah, an Old Testament book. We studied, this is the first book that we studied as a church. Anybody was here for that when we studied Nehemiah? A couple of you guys? Awesome. Uh, Nehemiah chronicles the story of a young Jewish follower of God, a, a, a Hebrew boy named Nehemiah, who had a great burden, and God used his great burden for a great work to rebuild the broken down walls of Jerusalem. Uh, the, the, the place that Nehemiah was at when he got this vision was in a pagan palace serving as a cupbearer. He would drink the king's wine before he did to make sure it wasn't poison. It's like, well, how would he know that it was poison? Well, everybody else would. Nehemiah wouldn't. He just, he'd, he'd, there, it's poison. Right? There's Nehemiah on the floor. Okay, That was his job. Now, this was a job of great, by the way, great um, trustworthiness and honor. You know, Because any scoundrel could just go, yeah, it's good, king. You know what I mean? So this was a guy who was trustworthy. And this was the man that God used to, to lead God's people to action. A really cool story. Um, what I'm about to share with you has nothing to do with that story um, in regards to what God did. But there's this unique encounter that, that Nehemiah has with the king. The king is going to be the one that's going to let Nehemiah go to Jerusalem and lead this building project. And, and Nehemiah, as he is really like heavy with what's on his heart. You ever just had something heavy on your heart? And you, your face, no matter how hard you try, it can't hide it? Now, some of you are good at that. Some of you are too good at that. But for, for others of us, we're, we're too bad at that. <laughs> it's, like, it's like everyone knows how we feel all the time, okay? We, we just look at our face, right? Our countenance says it. Well, that was Nehemiah's case. Nehemiah is in the presence of the king, and this is what it says. Uh, Nehemiah simply tells us, he says, I have never been sad in the king's presence before. Now, this was the culture that Nehemiah was in. In fact, the next verse says that, that the king says, Nehemiah, what's wrong? I could tell that something's wrong. You know, know what Nehemiah tells us? He says, and I got really scared. Why? Because in that culture, ain't no one coming up in the king's palace and killing his vibe. Get up out here with your frown, okay? We all smiles in here. This is like McDonald's, all right, but in Persia, okay? So Nehemiah, he's dreadfully afraid. He goes, I've, I don't have the kind of relationship. I have never been sad in his presence before. Have you ever been sad in God's presence before? Have you ever genuinely brought to God like Jesus and David here how you feel? Or are you like Nehemiah and do you know King Jesus in a wrong way that says, I, I can't, I can't say how I feel, it's going to kill our vibe. It's going to kill the vibe of our relationship. No, that's called intimacy. Because you'll go and you'll tell your best friend how you truly feel. You'll go and tell your spouse how you truly feel. You'll tell your parents, hopefully, how you truly feel. But will you tell God how you truly feel? And is there a relationship in our lives that we need more intimacy than God? No. That's the, that's the strongest relationship. That, listen, will not have strength if we're coming to him afraid to be who we really are in his presence. And I love that David leads us to be real, 
to be vulnerable, to be honest with God. Now, the, the, as we said, the first area of disorientation that David was honest with God was an area where David lost his sense of loyalty. Listen to this, loyalty from God. Now, that's a unique word, isn't it, to describe who God is? I think it's a word that we often use on a horizontal plane. But a definition of loyalty is this, giving or showing firm and constant support to someone or something. Right? How many of you guys would say you value loyalty in your relationships? You value those that are with you giving or showing firm and constant support to someone or something. Now, this is what David knew of God. God has made great promises to David. And would we agree that God is pretty loyal to his promises? We wouldn't say that God is unloyal. Is God loyal to his people? Is he, let's say it this way, is he faithful to his people? Is he committed to his people? Of course he is. We're reminded even in the New Testament, uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews reminds us that it was he who himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's loyalty. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. But David's in a situation that says, God, I know you have said that you're with me, but I've lost all sense of your loyalty. You say you're with me, but I don't see you. Where are you then? If you're with me, where are you? I feel instead, not that you have been loyal to me, God, but David says, I feel like you have forsaken me. Forsaken me. God, you said that you would never leave me. You said that you would never forsake me, but I feel the opposite. I feel that you have. He says two things about being forsaken. Look at the second half of verse 1. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? When I cry out to you, you do not hear. So notice this. David's feeling of being forsaken by God is characterized by, by feeling unhelped. God, I've prayed for this. I feel unhelped by you. And God, I feel unheard by you. It seems like everybody else gets their prayers answered but me. Where are you? Now, in David's disorientation, he comes to God. And through relationship, notice what he's able to experience. Verse 3 tells us, but you. You see what David's doing here? But you. Hold on. Hold on. But you. He says, you are holy. You are holy enthroned in the praises of Israel. This is what's true. Our fathers trusted in you and you delivered them. Okay, God, so... You don't want me to hold back and stuff what I feel. God doesn't want that. God doesn't want to be those who, who are just kind of fake, phony Christian droids. Be real. Come to me. Come to me as you are. But, but do we know a God that, that, that wants us to come as we are, but not to keep us as we are, right? Come to me with what you feel, but let your faith be fueled in that moment of what you feel by not what you feel, but by what you, help me, you know, Right? So there's what I feel, and then there's what I know. David's faith at this point was sapped. It had no more strength because it was, it was being deteriorated by what he felt. But we can't let what we feel be the fuel of our faith. It's got to be what we know. God, this is what I feel about you, okay? But now I need to inform how I feel. That's important, right? Here's how I feel. It's good to be honest about how you feel, but have you let your, your knowledge of what's true inform how you feel? Here's what I know, that you are, notice what he says, you are holy. And he says, and you are trustworthy. There's two things that David exclaims to God. He says first that you are worthy of praise. So I feel this way, but here's what I know. 
I know that you are worthy of my praise. And the way he says it is interesting. You are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. Um, There's a couple different renderings of this passage there in verse 3 to describe God being worthy of praise. A common kind of like, it's kind of been like the game of telephone. Have you ever heard the phrase that God inhabits the praises of his people, right? Have you heard that? That comes from this verse. And, you know, I love that idea because I love the truth that when we come to God and sing him, he's there with us. Jesus says, where two or more gather in my name, I am there in the midst of them. But the truth is, I hate to kill that vibe, but that's actually not what this verse is saying. This verse is not saying that I can only be there when you start playing music. It's got, and it's got to be electrical music, you know, even though it's only a modern invention, right? The early church didn't have guitars and synth, and, you know, but they had the Holy Spirit. And, and so it's, it's not the music that brings God in as if he wasn't here already as we're gathered in his name. Um, a better translation of this verse, the NIV uh, communicates it this way, that you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. It's not that my praises enthrone God. It's that my praises recognize the fact that he's on the throne. So here's David saying, you are worthy of praise. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are praiseworthy. God, I feel this way, but when I think about you, here's what I know. Here's what I know. I feel this way, but I know that you are sovereign, that you're enthroned. You're in control. And the best part about that is who you are. You're holy. That's the best news, not just that God is in control, but that he's a good God in control. Like a lot of us right now, we go, God is in control, God is in control, but does he have my best interests in mind? Yes, he's holy. There there is no darkness in him. The idea is that he's a God of light and only light. He is holy in his sovereignty. He is good. David is telling himself that this this is who you are. I feel that you are far from me. I feel that you have forgotten about me. I feel unheard and unhelped by you, but you are still worthy of my praise. I can praise you because you're enthroned. You're here and you're good. The other day, um, I took Judah to a new skate park. We typically go out here uh, to the East Boca Skate Park because it's a little smaller and um, it's nice because it's like it's about a space the size of this room, so I'm able to monitor Judah the whole time. If you didn't know, my son, he's six years old, and he's almost better at skateboarding than I am. When um, I've been skateboarding for a long time, he's getting really good. And uh, that park is nice for me because I'm able to kind of see him at all times. Uh, recently, though, we went uh, to the park for Judah's birthday party. It started pouring raining, so we had to go out west to a bigger park. Out in West Boca, they, it's not a skate park. It's a complex it's literally called an action sports complex. There's giant BMX jumps. Um, there's, there's, there's a big bowl. There's all sorts of stuff. It's a huge skate park. Uh, I almost thought about getting one of those like backpacks where I have like a leash on my wrist and I'd skate around with him like that. But no, I didn't want to ruin his life. So, um, so we went out to, to try this, this other park. It rained. We went to go check it out. We were just there the other day again. A lot more options. Uh, it's all fenced in. So at one point, Judah, he went to the, the street course, and I was there with him. He was trying his tricks. And I said, okay, Judah, I'll be right back. I'm going to go run and grab the cruiser board. It's another kind of board with bigger wheels. And it was over there by the check-in table. Now, I went, and I'm watching him the whole time, and he's skating. Now he's about about 50 yards away. And it's just him and this, this, this kind of cord, and there's a fence there. I grab the board. I come back, and he goes, Dad, where did you go? I was skating. Brittany's like, Andrew, you didn't tell me this story. Um, but Judah goes, I was skating. I looked up, and you were gone. You were gone. Now, it didn't cause him to stop skating, right? 
But I started to think about this, and I started to think about how that's how I feel about God a lot. A lot of times what I think about God is that if I can't see him, he can't see me. And I just imagine that, God, if I, if I don't know where you are, it must be the conclusion that you're not here. Did you know that there can be some great security in where David's at right now? God, I don't know where you are, but this is what I know about you. I can't see you, but I know you see me. Despite how freaked out Judah was, he wasn't alone. Despite how lonely he felt. That's what David is exclaiming. So David says, first, you are worthy of praise. But notice what he also says. God, you're also worthy of trust. I can trust you. You're, you're enthroned in the praises of Israel. But our fathers, he goes, you know what? I don't feel like you're close, but here's what I remember. You have been faithful in the past. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. So David first says, when it comes to your praise, you're holy and enthroned. So you're still worthy of my praise, despite my disorientation. But secondly, you're also faithful. I, know, I don't feel right now that you're present, but I know that you're faithful. I look back and I see your faithfulness. He says, we, we, we think about our fathers and how much faithfulness you've brought into our, our people, how faithful you've been to deliver. Um, you know, I, I think this is an important, another reminder of why we need community. We need community because my feeling of being forsaken needs your testimony of God's faithfulness. Your feeling of being forsaken needs my testimony of God's faithfulness. Amen? When you're doing life alone, you're only left to your own experience of God's faithfulness. We need each other. Like, like, a, like one part of our body needs the other. And this is what David is talking about. We think about you, and you have been faithful. So, God, I first feel this loss of loyalty, but I know that you're worthy of praise. And, God, I know that you're worthy of trust. You're faithful. So there's this reorientation. Now, the second thing that David is honest about is he says, I've also lost my sense of identity. I'm kind of, God, confused about who you are, but here, I'm going to believe to know in truth who you are. Yet at the same time, God, I'm sort of confused I've lost my sense of identity of who am I. You ever had a trial do that to you? You're like, I don't even know who I am anymore. He says, notice this, verse 6. He says, but I, you are holy, notice this, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me ridicule me. They shoot at the, at the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let, let him rescue him. Now, this was said to Jesus on the cross. This is these exact words. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. So, so David has a, has a loss of loyalty from God. He chooses to let what he feels lead him to what he knows about God as being praiseworthy and trustworthy. Uh, but now David goes, i got to be honest about this, though. I also feel a loss of identity. I don't know who I am. I feel like a worm. Now, maybe you've never wrote that in your journal before. Lord, I feel like a worm. All right? I'm not even a man. I'm a worm. That, that's what my, my trial, my hardship, whatever my difficulty is, that's where it's led me. Come on, when, when David's talking about a worm here, he's saying, I feel worthless. Right? The way that a lot of us treat worms in here is we take them, we put them on hooks, and we throw them in lakes. And some of you are like, I, I feel that way. That's what David's saying. I feel that way. I feel like a worm. And David has led to this conclusion, notice this, because of the words of people around him. 
Everyone around me has, has, been, has been looking at my situation saying that I'm forsaken by you, God. And so I feel so worthless because that's the voices coming to me from the outside. I feel like this. I'm disoriented in my identity. And then again, do you see verse 9? What does it say? But you. There it is again. But you. I have a loss of identity. But you, notice this, are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Now, this is what's interesting. David goes, here's a sense of identity that I've lost, and it's really been disoriented because of the ideas of of words coming from the outside towards me. But David says, but when I think about you, God, this is amazing. When I think about what you think about me, I recover that lost sense of identity. My identity is a sense, it's restored. And this is always going to be the, the, the pattern that we'll fall in when we look to anything or anyone other than God to determine who we are. I'm not saying that God doesn't use people in your life. Don't be like that. It's like, oh, I don't receive criticism from people because you know, only God can judge me, okay? No. No, God wants to use people. But... It must come from him. And here's David. He goes, I have a loss of identity because I've looked outward. I'm looking for people to give me my worth. I'm looking for people to give me my value. Now, I want you to notice, too, there's also a loss of identity when you just look inward. What's interesting is when you look inward to find who you are, the difficulty about this, the way that Satan deceives us, is we end up with half-truths about who we are. Because if you look into who you are, you'll see things that God put in you. But if you don't connect it to him, if you don't look to him, you're going to settle for sort of a counterfeit version of what God has called you to. Because the truth is, when we look within, what we should see is the image of God, but we also see some brokenness, don't we? We see, when we, if we're honest, we look and we go, some things are missing. And the modern movements today of self-help are saying that you are the one to bring the solutions to your own problems. Just work harder. Make more money. And then that thing that you see within you that you don't like, you you can fix it. You can repair it. And that makes the cross of Jesus of no effect, doesn't it? And so David says this. He says, this is what's being said about me. This is what's wrong with my identity. I've lost my sense of identity, but you. I love this, but you. He simply says this. In a poetic way, he says, you're my God. Now, that's awesome. The truest thing about David was, in regards to who he was was whose he was. That was the truest thing in his life. Think about your life. Is the truest thing about who you are whose you are? Think about that. God, I'm yours. I feel this way, but I belong to you, and that's true. I belong to you. I belong to you. Uh, Ephesians says it this way, that now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is true through the gospel. Through Jesus, we were once far, but we have been brought near. Now, the way in which that has happened is that Jesus, who was near, got pushed far. On the cross, Jesus, who is near, even in the very bosom, the Bible says the Father, no one has seen God at any time except the Son. Imagine from eternity past, Jesus, the Son, living in the securing, loving embrace of his Father. And what did Jesus do? Jesus became a man. He became a man so that I could become close to God. 
to bring me close to God. You know, it's really interesting. I got a really cool thought for you. Um, the word that David uses here to describe his, his feeling of being a worm is not the normal word that uh, the Hebrew usually uses. Let me, let me read it to you this way. Usually in the Bible, the Hebrew word for worm that we see there in verse 6 is rima, which means, happy Sunday morning, get, uh, a maggot. But the Hebrew word used here is the word tula, tula. And it means, listen, a crimson worm or a scarlet worm. Now, both scarlet and crimson are the colors of blood, of, of deep red. Uh, the crimson worm is a very special worm. Jesus knew of this worm. Uh, and it's a little bit more like a grub than it is a worm. Now, listen to this. When it's time for this worm that David says, I am a worm, this is prophetically speaking of Jesus, when it's time for the female Tula to have babies, which she does once in her life, some of your moms are like, I gotta get on that. Um, what she does is she finds the trunk of a tree, a wooden fence post or a stick, and she attaches her body to that wood, and she makes a hard, blood-red crimson shell. She is so strongly and permanently stuck to the wood that the shell can never be removed without tearing her body completely apart and killing her. The crimson worm, this is how, this is labor and delivery for uh, a tula. The crimson worm then lays her eggs under her body in the protective shell. When the baby worms, or the larvae, hatch, they stay under the shell. And not only does the mother's body give protection for her babies, but let's look at this, but it also provides them with food. The babies feed, the tula, this is all tula, tulaology, okay? The babies feed on the living body of the mother. After just a few days, listen to this, when the worms grow to the point that they're able to take care of themselves, the mother dies. And as the mother worm dies, she oozes a crimson, red, scarlet stain that stains red on the tree. But it also stains her children. They'll be colored scarlet as well for the rest of their lives. Now, is there a more mysterious and epic worm picture of the cross in the world? Through this worm that Jesus became for us, we have life through his death. That crimson red stain on the tree. You see it? Now, if you thought it couldn't get better than that, check this out. After three days, the dead mother crimson worm's body loses its crimson color and turns into a white wax which falls to the ground like snow. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. It reminds me of Isaiah 118. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like the scarlet worm, they shall be white as snow. You see, hidden, deep, meaningful, David is saying one central life-changing truth. When I have a loss of my identity, I don't look within to find my great worth. I don't look with, without to see what people say about me. I look at the Savior who hung on a tree. And that's my identity, that I am found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which comes from the law, which comes from my performance, which comes from how much, from much Bible I know, but it comes through what Jesus did for me. Through Jesus, me, who was once far off, has been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? And lastly, we'll close with this last idea. David lost his sense of ability. 
in his disorientation, there is this loss of loyalty from God. And it was his personal relationship with God that knew who God was in truth that reoriented him. You are praiseworthy. You are trustworthy. David said, I've kind of lost my identity. I don't know who I am anymore. But when I look to you, God, I find who I really am in you. I find my worth in you. And then lastly, look at this language. Verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and my clothing they cast lots. So what a poetic way for David to describe what he's going through, certainly prophetic, fulfilled in Jesus, who experienced these exact details of this trial, having his clothing sold, gambled for, being pierced in his hands and his feet, certainly a great picture of our Savior on the cross, taking our sin so that we might receive his righteousness. But there's a loss of ability, a sense of ability that David is expressing here. He, he says, basically, in this trial, he, here's what I don't have anything. I, I have no ability to survive, to get through. Uh, he says, because I, I'm, first of all, I'm surrounded by what's in front of me, what I'm facing. Uh, and he uses different words. He says, I'm in, you know, the congregation of the wicked has encircled me. They've encamped around me. They've surrounded me. The idea is I'm like stuck right here in the middle. You ever felt like stuck in your trial? Like I can't get out. There's no exit. I'm just circled. And not only that, but here I am as I'm an encircled, trapped person surrounded by this really terrifying trial around me. David says, and I don't even have any strength within me to keep going. So, so there's a wall in front of me, and there's no strength within me to even try to get through it, to try to get over it. It's, it's, a, it's an, uh, a trial of dilemma both internally and externally. David has lost his strength. He has lost his hope. And when David looks all around and can't see his way out, and when David looks within for the strength to get through and he finds nothing but weakness, he is left with no other option but to look to God. And sometimes God will let that happen. Sometimes God will allow every intermediary, every temporary, every, every middleman resource, every person, every strategy to fail us so that we realize that our only hope is in him. God, I need you. And maybe the reason why I've fallen on my face so much is because you wanted me to bring you wanted to bring me here to this place where I truly could depend and hope in you. Where you can be my strength. Notice what he says, but you, there's the third one, O Lord, do not be far from, from me. O my strength, hasten to help me, deliver me from the sword, my, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. So God, here I am, I'm stuck, but you, but you're my help. That's what he says first. But you're my help. I, I may feel disoriented, I've lost all sense of ability, but maybe it's because I need to look to you. And, and God, I am weak, I have no more strength to keep going, but then he says, but you are my strength. That's amazing. 
Sometimes God will bring us there to the end of our own strength so that we can come to the beginning of his. So that he can be our strength. Because it's when we're weak, amen, that we are strong. Then we're strong. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. That's the, the call of God's word. Do you feel like you've lost your sense of ability? Could it be? That that is not a setback, but that is a setup for you to cry out for a greater ability than you can muster on your own. For God to give you a strength that you can never manipulate on your own, that's the strength that comes for God. Now, I want us to uh, close here. We're going to have a time of communion. I want you to see what's so interesting about how David ends this in verse 21. What does he say? You have answered me. Now, there, there. There's no indication here in the rest of the psalm if, if God showed up the way exactly that David wanted him to. Now, we do know likely David here in the psalm is running from Saul for his very life. We, we know the end of the story. He ends up being king. God ends up fulfilling his word. But there's no indication that that's exactly what's happened here. It doesn't say, and then God delivered the lions, and then God, you know, stopped the mouths or, or transported David to some other place. But, but notice where David gets to. Look what he says. You have answered me. What a contrast between the first verse. You have forsaken me. How do you get from you have forsaken me to you have answered me? You have left me to you are speaking to me. David models it for us. It's bringing that disorientation to the Lord. It's bringing how you feel, being honest with where you're at. God, this is how I feel about your loyalty, my identity, and my ability. But God, what I feel is not the fuel for my faith. It's what I know about you. I know that you're worthy of my praise and my trust. I know what you have done through your son Jesus, who went to the cross, who shed his blood to bring me as near as I could ever want to be to you. And I know that you are my strength. Despite how weak I feel, may it drive me to you. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out soulschurch.com. 